Elizabeth Llewellyn, thank you very much for joining us for OperaCast. Pleasure, thank you. Now, before we get into the sort of interesting opera questions, um, mm -hmm. something I've always wondered, so Llewellyn, I understand, as a, as a stage name, it's your, it's your grandfather's name. No, it's actually, uh, it's my father's middle name. Um, uh, when I started singing professionally, I think Glyndebourne, 20... Uh, 2009 um, before that point I knew that there was another my, my family name is Davidson and uh, I knew that there was another Elizabeth Davidson who I believe studied at the Scottish Academy of Music and Drama and she had been enjoying a certain level of, of success in her career and when I was a Peter Moore scholar there was a horrible mix-up where they accused me of going off and having lots of uh, contracts. I was like, no, it's not me. <laughs> and so I knew from that point onwards when I was a student that actually if I did go professional, I'd have to change my surname. And Llewellyn is my, or my late father's middle name. And before he died, I I'd started singing at Glyndebourne and I said, look, Dad, do you mind if I use your middle name as my surname professionally and he's, he was absolutely delighted so do, do, do you still find that when someone says Elizabeth Llewellyn you take a moment to go who are you talking about who's that not now <laughs> not now it, it, you know sometimes when you talk to yourself I used to talk to myself a lot still do and uh, at, at the beginning I used to sort of talk to myself say come on Davidson come on you know and so in my head I was still a Davidson even though professionally I was Llewellyn and that was fine um now, uh, you know, enough people have said, oh, it's such a beautiful name, it sounds really lyrical, it sounds really lovely, that actually I just accept, even my family now in my post, yeah, because I changed it by deed poll for the sake of my um, passport, you know, matching contracts, you know, going through passport control is difficult enough without having <laughs> different uh, documents, so, I, you know, I just thought it was wiser to have the same name on everything, um, and now even my family has caught up, so... Well, it is a beautiful <coughs> lyrical name, as you said. Llewellyn it's, it, it's the name of a singer, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're here, you, you've been in rehearsals this morning for the new production of, of Louisa Miller. Yes. Uh, what can we expect from, from this production? Uh, good question. You can expect some brilliant singing. I'm not talking myself up. Um, uh, the, it, the rest of the cast are fabulous singers. Uh, people that, some people I've wanted to work with for years, like Christine Rice and Jim Cresswell. Um, uh, Solomon Howard has, has garnered an incredible reputation in the States. Um, uh, David uh, Jung-Hun Kim is incredible. Uh, a young tenor who I, I cannot wait to hear as a teller in five, ten years' time. He's definitely destined for that sort of rep. So that's very exciting to hear it at the beginning. Um, and Oli Sigardson um, is a fabulous uh, a, a baritone who has sung a lot of Verdi um, rep. He's sung Falstaff and Rigoletto. Uh, he's soon to make his Bayreuth debut, which is really exciting. And so, you know, it, it, it's that kind of quality of real Verdian voices. Um, and that doesn't happen very often. So I'm really excited. You can expect some great singing. Um, I think you can expect some great storytelling. Uh, Barbora 
Um, and Alex, our, our, uh, Barbara is our director, Barbara Harakova. And, uh, so taking a bit of practice to yeah, sort of... Yeah, <laughs> just to get all the accents in the right places. Um, and Alexander Joel, they're both people of the stage and of the theatre. And uh, they're both very keen to tell clear stories, tell a truthful story, not to sort of try and add to it or embellish it, to sort of tell the story as clearly as possible and as interestingly as possible and to perhaps see the inner life of some of the characters sort of played out on stage in in real time at the same time. So that's quite interesting. And uh, obviously it's a modern production. Um, uh, We have dance as well, uh, four incredible dancers, lovely people, great colleagues in terms of helping us to tell the story. And I'm all about telling good stories well. And so uh, if you have a team around you that are from the get-go really keen to to make storytelling, to yeah, to make their storytelling clear and accessible um, and to put the whole Régie <coughs> idea out of the window, then I'm all for it. And I'm, I'm so excited to have this team of people. They're lovely people. There's a lot of banter, but there's also... Uh, uh, a sort of oneness of, of mind, a sort of unity of, of mind in terms of how we tell this story. You can expect it to be, um, uh, how do I put this? It, the, it's not um, a sort of operatic plot. It is a, a, a story of what happens in a, a family situations when family relationships particularly fathers and daughters and fathers and sons when that either breaks down or is dysfunctional from the get-go um and added to that the class uh, difference and the class struggle between the millers being very working class mm. and being effectively under the thumb and manipulated by the uh Valters, if you like who are the ruling class and what happens when, when you know, those two uh, sort of uh, sides meet and, and who gets caught in the crossfire, who gets destroyed in that. Um, and it's not always the most obvious people. Um, so that's a really interesting story to tell because I think it's got a... It's, it's, it's a universal and even a very current and a very historic story to tell. Mm. Louisa Miller has this reputation um, of being Verdi's sort of warm-up act to, to Rigoletto, Trovatore, Traviata that, that followed. Is that a reputation it deserves as sort of Verdi just kind of getting all his, his ducks in a row ready to kind of hit into his golden patch? I think so. I mean, who knows uh, whether he was conscious of that happening at the time, but I think, um, you know, it, it's certainly he's certainly on the, cost, on the cusp of his main period of of writing and so although the 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 opera starts off uh in a very almost standard Donizetti way uh standard sort of bel canto in it and in, you, you would be forgiven uh if you thought that it was Donizetti at the beginning but you can hear even at the beginning even in the uh 
uh, overture, these leitmotifs, these, this very dark, uh, uncertain element that creeps through the first act into the second and sort of lands in the third. And so you have echoes of Otello, you have echoes of Traviata, you, you can hear those operas already present in this one. And so, although it's an early opera, in inverted commas, uh, for, for Verdi, um, it certainly points forward to his more mature and perhaps uh, better known and, and more loved uh, operas. Um, and so, again, that, that it, it, in a way, it, it really helps that sort of storytelling, that things, it's all sweetness and light at the beginning for the first 10 minutes, and then it just goes downhill. Um, and uh, some of the most expressive writing is in Act 3, mm. um, that is much more like the sort that you would find in Traviato, or particularly Otello. Mm. Um, uh, so for me, that's, that's really interesting mm. to unpack that. Um, and obviously one of the big things with English national operas is performing in English. Yes. Um, do you find that there are ever any compromises you have to make vocally when performing Italian repertoire in English? Are there certain, certain ways in which Italian lyrics uh, go with the music that you just you, you can't sort of quite replicate with English? You have to make some compromises musically. Um, I think compromise is probably too strong a word, actually. Uh, we were discussing this the other day, just in that each language has its own flavour, its own sort of mentality, its own way of putting things across. And so we need to find... Uh, yeah, Martin Fitzpatrick has, has done an incredible job of, of creating a, a libretto. You know, sometimes as we go through it and we, as we inhabit the characters more, we think, actually... I think Louisa would say things like this. I think, you know, that turn of phrase, I think that word doesn't quite land in the way it should. It needs to be this. And so there have been tweaks along the way, but um, I think we need to make it work and land in a way that will really serve an English-speaking audience in the same way as it would speak and land uh, the, the, the Italian libretto would speak and land with an Italian-speaking audience. And so that's where the hard work is. It's just making sure that, um, you know, our syntax is right and that we're, and that we're not using uh, words or phrases that are, are sort of alien, uh, that aren't sort of too poetic and that will actually really land, or perhaps where they need to be poetic, that actually we can find the poetry in our own language mm. so that it, it lands in that way with our audience. Um, so that's, that's one thing in terms of the actual words that we use. Um, in terms of actually singing in English, it, English is notoriously difficult to sing in, and it's notoriously difficult to sing in really well. I remember once, it's years back in the annals of time, when <laughs> I remember hearing uh, Gwyn sing Calaf in Turandot. And it hadn't really occurred to me, I was watching it, you know, it hadn't really occurred to me. And then suddenly that moment came and I thought, 
oh no, Nelson Dormer in English. And I remember sort of thinking, oh gosh, it's going to be a disaster. But because Gwyn is such an incredible singer, he's got great technique, and yeah, he's so well versed in the, the good sort of the 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 best sound for Italian rep and and feeding that into the way that he sings in English. As soon as he started, I didn't. It didn't even register with me that he was actually singing in English. Mm. And from that point on, obviously the following year, weirdly enough, then I was employed by Eno to sing with Gwyn in in uh, Bohème. Um, but that was my that's my sort of gold standard. It should be me using my technique and my knowledge of what sounds great in Italian rep and in. Uh, you know, it, Louisa Miller, particularly the writing for Louisa, is very bel canto um, in a way that isn't as much in the other characters. There's a lot of coloratura, there's a lot of that elasticity. Um, and so I've got to keep that, that feel, that feel of sort of roundness and ease, but also make sure that my diction is very clear and on point. Mm. Um, and that's on me. Uh, that's that's why we have a technique, um, uh, and it, you know, it, we have people in the room that uh, help us just to sort of guide us. That could be a bit clearer. That could be a bit more pointed. But um, that's my responsibility as a singer to hold both worlds in my hand. That you know, the very best of Italian at singing, but also uh, the the clarity. Um, and the ease and fluidity that we need to, to make sure that the English is understandable mm. to an audience. Zooming out on your career a bit more, more broadly, one of the things that really kind of stands out for me is that you always seem to be learning and performing new roles. You know, there's, there seems to be sort of very few occasions where you're bringing back a, a, a role. Has this very much been a, a conscious choice? No! <laughs> you, you would love to do the same thing. I'd love to repeat something! <laughs> It's, it's, you know, and, you know, I was talking a little bit about it with Ella uh, earlier, but um, it's, uh, it, you, in one sense, you've, you've, you can only perform the things that you are offered. You can only sing the contracts that you're given and confirmed. Um, and so uh, I guess uh, early on, fairly early on, so around about sort of, 2012, 2013, uh, my voice, you know, started to change, sort of fill out, and a lot of uh, people I was singing to could probably hear that, um, and their instant sort of thought was, "Oh, Puccini," because it has this round, warm sort of quality, what have you. So I was offered a lot of Puccini, and okay, I wasn't offered. Um, uh, mini in La Fanchula del West, you know, so I, I, I wouldn't touch that with a barge pole. That's definitely dramatic soprano territory. But I was offered things that I, once I'd spoken to my singing teacher and my coach, that actually, yes, I, could, I can do these well without damaging my voice, without over-singing, and it would be really good for me in terms of my development. And uh, so I'm particularly thinking of after sort of 2013, so my first Amelia, it's Mon Bocanegra, I first sang my first best at uh, Royal Danish, and then suddenly the Royal Danish, I did an audition while I was there because I said, look, 
Porgy and Bess isn't actually what I do. Uh, <laughs> please, can I come and sing to you? Is uh, Sven Müller was the casting director at the time. I said, can we have an audition and what have you? And I sang a bit of Mimi, and I sang a bit of Ernani, and on the spot he offered me Suor Angelica. And he said, uh, we'd really love you to sing Giorgetta in Il Tabarro. We're thinking of doing Il Tritico in a year and a half. And, yeah, and I said, oh, I don't really know Giorgetta. But he said, I can hear that you'd be great at Angelica. Uh, it's up to you whether you'd feel comfortable singing Giorgetta. But if you can do both, that would be great. Because the original production, this was a revival. The original production was a, a, Damian, a Damiano Micheletto production where... Giorgetta and Angelica are the same person. So I stayed on stage at the end of Il Tabarro, after that big screen, then the scene changed behind me and someone would come in, sit me down, cut my hair, take off my pretty dress, give me a nasty smock and then push me into a convent and that's how Sword Angelica started. No rest for you in that production so then. No, it's an hour and a half on stage, full on singing. Uh, again, it, it, it taught me stamina, taught me pacing. Um, 15 performances, you learn. Um, uh, and I also did Butterfly with them. So, you know, it, a, a year or so later. So it, it was... Um, there was... It, 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 each stage, I was sort of speaking to the people who knew me best. And so, do you think it's a good idea? Is it sort of overstepping? And, and the message I was getting back was actually, no, I think it would be a good thing for you to do. And, you know, I, the house knew me quite well. I knew them, had the same conductor for both productions, uh, a chap called Giuliano Carella, who's an incredible musician, absolutely top class. Um, with a big heart, and he, he, he mentored me, really, through my first butterfly. Um, and, yeah, so it, it, so none of these things were dangerous, um, but it was interesting that at the time I did this auditions for Sven, and he offered me Tritico, he said, I can, I can hear you singing Tosca one day, and I said, don't be silly, to his face, and I suddenly thought, oh, does that mean I haven't got the job? Um, but, you know, it, at the, he, he said that back in 2013, and then I sang, weirdly enough, a few years later, my first Tosca. So, you know, it was, it was interesting that people often heard, well before I did, various qualities in my voice that would, in particular situations, suit uh suit my voice uh uh along the way um well that's interesting it's that thing of you having confidence and and, and trust in what you can do but also trusting others to be able to kind of guide you into into what yeah you know you might not even see yourself yes it's it's interesting um i have if you like a quite a small team team of two entourage yes quite a small team of people you know it the 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 uh, accepted wisdom is uh you know have one or two people that you that you trust that you can ask these questions you can't ask the difficult questions of um should i be doing this what do you think and people who you will listen to all other voices, and there are 
hundreds of voices in opera, people who have their own opinions about your voice and what you should be singing and when and how and in what order. I, I, I put them to one side, thank them for their, their opinions, put them to one side, and I only listen to two people, really. Um, and then and then you and then I sort of uh, um, compare that with uh, generally people that I, I that come into my life or into my career, like Sven, like Giuliano, um, who it, it's quite interesting when someone doesn't know you and then says the very things that you were planning to do or that you were thinking of doing and they you know hear you a little in an audition or or in a performance and they think oh i can really hear you singing this this and that it, it's almost confirmation that you're going in the right direction and so those people are just as useful mm. um uh, in your sort of decision making process um uh, and and having in the back of your mind when these opportunities because it was Juliana Carella that said back in 2013 oh have you sung Aida yet I said I don't be daft and I'm singing my first Aida I've just sung my first Aida um, you know so it, that was a role I thought I would never sing seriously and the same for things like Butterfly and Tosca I had no plans to sing any of this so uh, it, you know it's right when the opportunities come uh, a few years after other people have said, actually, I think you really ought to think about that. Mm -hmm. One of those roles that you have done on a couple of occasions is, is, is Bess in Porgy and Bess. And, yes. And it was that role that you made your Metropolitan Opera debut with <laughs> last <Yes>. year. <laughs> Did that feel like a real milestone for you, kind of stepping out on the Met stage? Did you kind of feel as though this is a moment? Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, it was the last role I ever expected to make a Met debut with. Why is that? It's the most American of American operas. I mean, you can kick, um, uh, what's the word, um, what's the title of, um, Streetcar Named Desire, kick that one to the curb. I think Porgy and Bess in the minds of Americans are, is possibly the most American of American operas. And the whole of the rest of the cast, including the chorus and all of the covers, were American. I was the only Brit in the village, and so it, it, it's the and it's the same with with Seattle uh, when I sang it the year before, and 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 uh, uh, Diane Zolo and Jonathan Friend had come to Seattle to hear Angel and and stayed on to to hear me to uh, sing Bess, um, but it, it it's the last. You'd think that there were there would be a whole bank, a queue, a mile long of potential besses, and there and there are. So it was an incredible honour to be asked once by Seattle, almost unbelievable to be asked again by the Met. Um, and this is a milestone uh, production. It's co-production with ENO, um, uh, who had done it sort of the year before, and it uh, and with uh, the Dutch National Opera, I believe, as well. Um, and they hadn't performed it for about 30 years and they, they literally threw everything at it. And it was a big deal as a house, culturally, in terms of, uh, you know, sort of African-American uh, artists on stage. And, and it, was, it was a big deal for them. And then here was I as a Brit 
coming in I really did feel like the only Brit in the village um and you know and apart from sort of personally stepping out on that sort of iconic stage um the the way that the, the way that they work um people who are in the alternate cast so alternates and their recovers so alternates are people who have performances covers obviously are understudies and I was counted as an alternate but the way that the rehearsal schedule works is that um I didn't get to put I didn't get to rehearse with the orchestra well I was going to ask about that I, I heard you only had a piano rehearsal before stepping yeah, on I had, I had a, a that piano rehearsal terrifying. with, with uh, maestro um uh about an hour or so uh a, a few weeks before um I'd we'd had a studio rehearsal with some of the principal cast a few days before but that was the morning after they'd had a performance so half of them were really sort of half asleep and, and sort of <laughs> really quite tired because you know they, they'd had the adrenaline of the opening night in the opening opening the Met season with Porgy and Bess so that had been a massive sort of effort <clears throat> so they were obviously quite tired um, and then I didn't actually get to sing on that stage until one o'clock the day of my performance and the performance started at three. So I had between one and one fifteen to have a bit of a sing song on the Met stage, work out how the acoustic works, you know, because it, it's, it, it feels like it stops right in front of your face, but actually in reality, it's the acoustic is incredible and they can hear a pin drop right at the back of this four and a half thousand seats. I've, I've sat at the back. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's yeah, me too. Yeah, and it's just it is incredible. So you've just got to trust that, but you have to get used to the idea that the sound feels like it stops in front of your face. Um, but I had a whole fifteen minutes, and I, I I was advised by the stage management that actually that's luxury. Most people don't get that long on the stage uh, if you're an alternate doing a performance. So I felt very privileged. Um, but it is; it does have a real uh, um, sort of spirit about it. Somehow, um, when you sort of step on that stage, there's a there's a real atmosphere. Uh, even when you're sort of standing alone on that stage. And, oh, my goodness, that orchestra is... It's like driving a Ferrari. It's <laughs> just... They are incredible. And the noises that came out of that pit, it was really inspiring. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm, I felt very fortunate that actually I... Of, of the one of the two roles that I've actually sung uh, more than once. Um, you know, I'd, I'd already sung Best at Seattle, I'd already sung it at the World Danish. Um, and I felt very, you know, because it just meant that I was quite oddly calm because I knew what I needed to do vocally and, and how I would produce that and where the danger points were and, and where I needed to check in with Maestro and... and Generally, the sets for this particular work tend to be quite open because they tend to be a sort of skeleton set of, of uh, you know, tenements and things like that. And so you, you've just got to be aware that you're in an open set rather than a, a closed-off set so with lots of walls. Channel the noise nicely, yeah, yes. Yeah, exactly. And I had wonderful, you know, the best colleagues 
Eric Owens, Latonya Moore, yeah, it's just you know, Denise Graves. It's just like an A list of of colleagues who yeah, you know, and uh, who were just uh, so loving. Janai uh, uh, Brugger, um, and you know, a dear friend Golda Schultz, who was singing the Clara for the other other um, cast. Yeah, just very supportive, and yeah, there was a point where I that we had a revolving stage, and I walked onto the stage, and I thought, I'm sure this isn't where I ought to be. So I just walked up to someone in the chorus, and I said, This isn't where I ought to be, is it? I said, No, you ought to be over there. I said, Great, thanks, bye. And I walked off <laughs> to find my spot on the other side of the stage while this thing was revolving. That's a big stage to get around as it well. Is. Yeah, it's a There's long a walk. lot of running in high heels. <laughs> so yes, it was. It was. And uh, weirdly enough, it was um, you, you. It's a bit like doing a jump in, and I've done a fair number of those uh, uh, in this country and, and in other places. So you're you're very focused and you're thinking of cue to cue. I come in, I do this entrance. When I come off, do I have a quick change? Where do I go for the quick change? What do I do? How do I come back on? What do I need to have? Blah, blah, blah. So you're thinking quite technically, mm. and by the end my brain was still in that mode. So I came off into the scene dock and I thought, right, where was my next quick change? What do I need to do? Uh, which prop do I need to... And I suddenly thought, actually, stop. You're done now. You have now made your mat debut. Um, and then a dear colleague of mine was coming in for the final scene with, with Porgy and she's coming through the double doors. And she said, oh, can I get a picture with you? I said, yeah, fine. And then I just burst into tears on her shoulder <laughs> because I, you know, I don't think I'd actually realised how much I was putting all of that emotion to the back of my head because I had a job to do and I had to hit everything, every cue, every floated note, perfect, first time. Mm. There was no margin for error. And... Uh, and so it was, it was quite surreal, actually, thereafter to sort of think, yeah, I've actually made my Met debut in a title role. <laughs> yeah, in this yeah. most American of operas. I've it, made yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it took a couple of days, really, to just process that, really. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. Uh, and it's an even bigger deal. Uh, you know, you, I sort of came from my curtain call and, and the audience were so kind and so warm and, and loving and encouraging and uh, you know seven friends from the UK had flown over especially uh, to see it and and uh, various members of my family who live in New York were in that audience so it's a very important yeah milestone personally uh, but also professionally that she sort of proved to myself that actually on one of the world's biggest stage literally as well as figuratively Yes, I can hold my own in a title role, mm. and that, and and not even hold my own, you know, deliver over and above what I thought I was capable of doing. I, I think that's that's really important to remind yourself of in in sort of difficult times or you know times when you're struggling. Actually, I I do have that ability to sing a title role on a on a major stage major world stage um and that's really important i think now i've read before that you've said that earlier on in your career when you were starting out after retraining you were offered a, a number of smaller roles which you which you turned down mm. um which has obviously worked out very well for you in the in the long run do you think you ever kind of burnt any bridges by 
I suppose being more more selective than perhaps some companies might have thought you should be at, at that stage in your career? It's a good question, but it's impossible to know <laughs> because singers are never at in in that room at that decision making stage, that discussion stage. Um, and uh, being a soprano as well, uh, you know, started off being a fairly sort of box standard, if you like, lyric soprano. Um, you know, there are there are a lot of us about, and so you know, if if a company missed out or if you opted not to go for one opportunity, there are lots of other sopranos that and of different timbres and different skill sets that they can choose to do that thing or the next thing or the thing after that and so you know it, it's it, it the the way of the world in that people are always looking for the next new thing or the next exciting thing or you know and so there's always a sort of a feeling of of uh, companies always on the lookout for um you know some sort of nugget of of novelty um uh, and so they're always going to be moving on and sort of looking out for something else and so it, yeah it, it it's impossible to to know really uh all it, it, all i can say is that it's really important to me to be true to myself and mm-hmm. and polite be polite in the refusal um, and say thank you, thank you very much for, for thinking of me, and be sincere in that because they didn't have to think of you. Mm. Do, um, do you think it's a trap that some singers fall into, especially early on in the career? They feel as though they have to take smaller roles, so then they get offered smaller roles, and you know it's. Oh, certainly. I I think it's it's uh, it's a real. I remember talking to uh, this is years ago. I said back in what uh, 2011 I was talking to a colleague of mine who's 23 and she was about to leave uh, college she was doing a postgraduate and you know but she she felt she was talking about the pressure she felt to sort of she having to achieve and having to you know uh, uh, get a role and 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 getting with various companies and and uh rather than perhaps taking her foot off the gas a bit and just allowing herself to sort of look at who and what she was, where her voice was, uh, uh, what she needed to work on, perhaps. Uh, perhaps yeah, yeah, and, and she almost said, almost said I, I'm too scared to give myself that time, mm-hmm. which, is, which is awful. At 23... It's terrible, you know, and, and when you think about the, 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 the way that voices mature and can change from being one thing to another, you know, you sort of think of something like Anna Netrebko started off seeing, singing all the Inas and Adina and what have you, and look at what she's singing now. The arc of, of her vocal sort of career has been huge. You know, you don't know where you're going to end up when you start, and 23 is... is pretty close to sort of 80 if you started at 18 or 19 and and it it i th- i think there is that that real uh, pressure and i think um you know when i when i sort of started sort of back into singing as it were you know i just thought well look yeah there's there's a limited amount of time uh, and and sort of resources in terms of you know being at the national opera studio it's only a 9 month course uh, you, okay, you get your fees and what have you sort of paid for, but um, 
you know, I was in my 30s and I knew I, there were certain competitions and bursaries and things that I couldn't, because of my age, apply for. So this was my last chance saloon to, to get that input, that help, that guidance, that sort of chance to sort of sort out in my head, well, what am I suited to vocally now? What might I be suited to vocally in a year or two's time? And actually focus down on those things and uh, it meant even at the studio saying no I'm going to say no to French rep I might be involved in in French rep sort of later on down the line but right now I'm feeling my instinct is that actually uh, uh, Italian rep will, will actually be my my mainstay um, uh, you know and because every role that you do is a it's a drain on your drain it sounds awful but it is it's like a drain on your resources it's an investment, your time, isn't it? yes, yeah. your time your the 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 money that you spend on coaching on singing lessons on you know just getting the thing sung into your body and your voice and understanding the character and so if you're spending your time on something that you're never going to sing again or that no one outside of this small circle will, will even consider you for, uh, then uh, you must uh, you you must be wise about how you spend your time and what you spend your time doing. Um, I always think of myself as a small business, and you know, <laughs> it, it, small businesses have got to be really choosy about. Uh, their suppliers and about their their product and because they don't have the huge margins of they they can't get things wrong uh, a loss is 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 a hit for a small business and and I, I think the same is the same for singers um, and uh, it, you don't always get it right and sometimes you need to test the waters and sometimes you need to try new things to test your own boundaries and your own musicianship and uh, and your own stamina but but ultimately I think you do need to be wise about the choices you make um, have reasons for them and you know where appropriate sometimes it's appropriate to explain to the person that's asking you why you've made that choice mm. and sometimes it's appropriate just to say well thank you so much for considering me but no it really isn't for me right now or um, and, and leave it at that. So let's look a little bit to the future. 2021 mm. will bring your first Ellen Orford, which Yay! is very exciting. And if yes. you go on, I should say, if you go on your YouTube channel, you will see a little a little clip of you <laughs> singing uh, some some Ellen. Um, yeah. and, and I love that on your YouTube channel, you do have these little videos that are called sort of uh, sketchbook or something. It's, yes. it's quite a nice insight that I suppose we don't get from a lot of singers. Well, thank you for saying that because that was a bit of an experiment um, <laughs> at a time, I, I can confess it here, uh, at a time when, uh, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been very lucky pretty much for the last 10 years. I've been, I've been working non-stop mm. singing leading lady roles and, and it's been wonderful. Uh, the problem with that, though, is having time to stop to sort of work on things like auditions, <laughs> also having time to stop and work on things like audition videos. Um, and, you know, but every so often, you, you know, I've had a, a coaching, I had a coaching with a dear friend of mine, Chris White, who works at Deutsche Oper, um, on uh, a, 
some it was on new audition rep, including Ellen Orford and uh, Leonora from Trovatore. Um, and I think sometimes it gives a bit of an insight into where you are. I think even in that uh, uh, sketch, you can hear Chris in the background just coaching me through, oh, just, you know, give that a bit more time, give, you know, and, and it, it's, it's, it's quite interesting for me even listening back to that and thinking, yeah, my first instinct was right. You know, my first instinct in terms of how to sing that particular aria was right. It needed shaping, it needed a bit of uh, sort of direction, but uh, ultimately it was right. And that was back in 2015, I think, something like that. Well, I think it's, it's wonderful for younger singers to see as well that, you know, someone like yourself who is who is having an extraordinary career doing doing leading roles in big stages is, mm. is still thinking about developing new roles and is still sort of taking time to work kind of work through things and yeah. you know it's I think it's quite an encouraging thing for people to be able to see that it's really that openness that you put yeah it's really important I think uh, someone remarked oh I put something on Twitter I did an audition in in France recently in between performances and and uh, and uh, is a lovely theater had an incredible sort of interior and I took some photographs while I was waiting and uh, someone in a response to that tweet had said you still do auditions I said well doesn't everybody even you know someone that I admire hugely we, we met up in Zurich because I was doing another audition there uh, Brindley Sherratt and he was talking about when he had to do an audition for the Royal Opera House and I said the same you do auditions yeah. and I think we just know, assume that you sort of sit there and wait wait for these wonderful offers yes, to come in and it you know. doesn't always happen because they might not know you or know your voice um, they know your reputation and what have you, but sometimes casting directors just want to hear you in their auditorium. And, mm. and you know, and, uh, but the flip side of that is that you have to, if, if you're not auditioning for a role, you need to have a bank of audition areas to present. Now, I've literally had no time to even pick up my audition areas folder and work on anything in it. So the last few auditions generally that I've had, I've just said, you're gonna have to tell them, I'm just bringing what I'm working on now. Um, uh, so the audition I did for Aida, because it was just after I'd sung Elena and Margarita in Mephistopheles, I said, sorry, you're gonna have to just hear those arias because I, have, I haven't got time to even work up the audition, the Aida uh, arias. Um, uh, you know, and so it, 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 it's, um, that's one of the things I'd really, once this season is over, I'd really like to spend some time doing is just reassessing uh, perhaps what uh, um, uh, casting directors, you know, the conversations that I've had this season and last season with casting directors and conductors has just made me think I need to go almost go back to the drawing board and pick different mm. audition areas. Um, I, I've discovered recently that perhaps bringing Arabella to an audition is not a good idea because for a pianist it's really hard and if you don't know the opera, to pick it up from nowhere and to play it um, 
is, is actually very difficult and quite stressful. And, and, and you then, know, then you're stressed. And, and then, then I'm uh, stressed. And then the audition panel thinking, what's going on over there? And so, you know, as much as I would love to present Arabella and as much as I can sing that aria really well, perhaps that's not the best aria to bring to an audition. So I have to think, well, what else can I bring that, you know, and so there's a, there's a lot of rethinking for me that will need to happen with regard to my audition uh, repertoire and just working on it because because literally this season I've gone, I had a few weeks in between Mephistophele and the start of Manon Lescaut. Did Manon Lescaut from uh, April to uh, end of June. I had a few weeks before then I jumped on a plane to go and do Beth at the Met. I came back. I had four, less than 48 hours between landing from the States and uh, starting rehearsal for AIDA in Germany. And then uh, we had our last performance of AIDA on the 27th of December. Our first rehearsal for Louisa Miller was the 2nd of January. So that's been my year. Um, there is no space in that for learning new arias um, and doing it well. And I think at this stage, the stage I'm at, um, I, my auditions, I've learned the hard way, my auditions have to be as good as they possibly can be and much more reflective of my uh, stage performances, uh, present and future. Um, and so uh, that, but that needs time and that takes work and that needs polishing. And, and I, I need to not be doing something else mm. in order to focus on those things. So, um, but it's exciting because I think my audition rep will be really interesting, really good. Um, and uh, uh, this season has taught me a great deal about what my voice can do. Mm. Um, particularly Louisa Miller, that I hadn't expected um, to be singing something like this. Uh, I've not sung any bel canto before, and so to to be singing Louisa Miller and be enjoying it and finding it easy, in inverted commas, um, is is quite a revelation, and it's opened up other possibilities of, of repertoire I could do in the future. Well... On that, the, the final question we ask everybody, if there's there's one opera, one role that you haven't oh. done that you'd like to. Um, <laughs> but if you don't want to pick that, I, I'm interested, you're talking about exploring bel canto potentially. Mm. You've spoken in the past about the interest in Strauss. I know you, you've mm. done Elsa as well, Wagner. Yes. It seems as though there's extraordinary potential for you to go in in all sorts of different ways if, if, you, if you kind of wanted to. If there's one, yes. if there's one direction... <laughs> one opera, if you could, you know, that you'd really, really like, no, maybe not now, but 10 yeah. years, you know, what, what might it be? Oh, gosh. It, do you know what? I've learned to never say, never say never. Uh, in the course of this, inter there were two or three roles that even a few years ago, I said, I'd never sing that, that I have actually sung Butterfly, Tosca, Aida. Um, and I seriously thought I was never going to sing any of those roles. So I've learned just to keep, kind of stum about the <laughs> the ideas I have in my head that you know in that sense but having said that I think Louisa Miller has opened up uh, possibilities uh, I remember Matthew Epstein I don't know if you know him he actually he came to my Met debut he was advising the young artists when I was a young artist here 
Um, and I remember he said, oh, you need to look at Roberto Devereux. And I said, what? You know, who? What? And, you know, others sort of of that kind of ilk. Mm. And it, it literally went over my head because I didn't really under, I hadn't, it hadn't even occurred to me to look at that sort of rep. And I, I said yes and nodded nicely, but I, I didn't. Now I understand what he meant. Now that I'm singing Louisa Miller, I'm thinking... Actually, perhaps I ought to be looking at Roberto De... Perhaps I ought to be looking at Maria Stuarda. I was just about to say you that, know, actually. Perhaps yeah. I ought to be looking... Because, you know, this is... It landed very squarely and very easily for me in, in, my, in my repertoire. And I was talking to my singing teacher, and she said, well, I, said, I don't quite understand how it's, it, it's landing so well and soundly for me. She said, well, look at where you started. You started with Handel and Mozart your voice has grown and developed but you haven't lost that ability um and so you're in a way you're almost transferring that ability into this italian at rep so I, you know so a light bulb went off in my head and i thought okay perhaps i need to spend some time exploring that uh i i recently was talking to a casting director in the states who said i can uh, this is after a, a few rehearsals that he'd sat in on, and he said, I can hear you singing Elisabetta in Don Carlo, Arabella. And these were, he literally rattled off five roles, um, and Elisabetta and Arabella were two of them, that I'd been thinking, right, okay, when I next get a break, I'm going to start working on these roles. And it was interesting having a complete stranger just rattle them off. And I said, Okay, okay, you know, and so um, I've long wanted to sing Strauss. I I was very fortunate back in whenever it was, 2012, 2013, I had um, a coaching session with Zoila Isakowski on Act One of uh, Der Rosenkavalier. I was gonna, and Marshallin, I was going to say. I could say we see that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's a real dream role of mine, partly because, you know, I'm 46 now. I don't make a secret of it. I don't look at my age, which is great. Um, but, you know, she, she says some very profound things about the, the passing of time and about the passing of time and how a, a woman feels that passing of time. And especially as she had to, uh, that, that role had to, uh, it, the Marshallin uh, makes a decision almost like a it's almost maternal uh that she says look you know i'm going to be the adult here i'm going to call time on our relationship you need to find someone else young more like your age uh and uh you know it but she has this enormous reflection on the passing of time and going around the house sort of stopping clocks i mean not to say that i've done that I really haven't, um, but I understand in my 40s and, and, you know, the things that my body is going through uh, at, at, at my age group and, and will go through, you understand how profound that is. Um, and, you know, saying goodbye to a certain part of your life and having to accept that actually from now on, your life can be lots of things, but it won't be those things anymore. And that's quite profound. And I'd really love, in that sense, I'd really love to sing Marshallin because I really deeply, personally understand what that feels like. 
Um, and uh, you know, yes, you have incredible interpreters of martial in in this country and abroad and what have you. But I'm I'm convinced that there's a richness that comes with really understanding what that means. Mm. And she gets the best music and the best costumes. And I'm desperate to I see mean, that. It's, it's just all around wonderful. It's all good. And yeah. such, a, such, a good <laughs> act, such a good acting role as well. You know, it's it is. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to explore more Strauss. Arabella, uh, Marceline, Chrysothemis, perhaps. Um, you know, I'd love to uh, sing Eva in the Meistersinger. You know, uh, there aren't very many Wagner roles I would sing. Elsa, Eva, perhaps Elisabeth, I don't know, in Tannhäuser. But all of the kind of more Italianate, more lyric roles. I was offered in Isolde, believe it or not, more than once. Uh, a few years ago, I politely said no to, because although it, it, you hear people like Nina Stemmer when she first sang her Isolde, I, meant, I remember going back to my singing teacher and saying, is that a role for me? And she didn't quite laugh in my face, but she did <laughs> say, no, dear, it's not. But she sang it in such a lyrical way. Uh, her first, uh, One of her first Isolde's that was at the uh, Royal Opera House, Covent Garden, I was thinking, gosh, perhaps this is a role for me. It just sounds so lyric and beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it didn't have uh, that kind of weight in inverted commas. Um, uh, and uh, so I can understand how someone would think that, but in real terms, when you look at the notes and the way that it's written, is not a role for me. But there are other more Italianate uh uh, Wagner roles that I think I would that I know that I do really well I loved singing Elsa it was actually a relief to sing Elsa um, and I sang that shortly after I sang my first Fiordalici so I already I was kind of trying to sort of my elbows were thinking yes we were stretching feeling oh, yes. a bit kind of constrictive and then I sang my first Elsa and I thought oh thank god yes Yes, now I can sing, and I'm not feeling restricted here. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's there's lots there. Uh, more Verdi, uh, perhaps more Strauss and, and Italian to Italian Wagner. I'd love to sing more Mozart now. I've not sung Mozart since 2012, uh, since my Fiordaligi, and I'd love to sing a Vitellia. I think I'd sing the socks of a Vitellia. Um, and she gets to be bad, and I never get to be bad, and it, yeah, that would be really good, you know. She's yeah, she's quite evil, and that's and not many sopranos have the range for Vitellia. Not many sopranos have a real bottom G, and or you know bottom F sharp and a real top D or D flat, whatever it is in, in the trio. And I do. I'm a bit of a freaky voice that way. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it, Vitellia, Eletra, Inidomineo, I'd love to have a go at as well. Um, so, yeah, there are lots of, lots of possibilities there. Sounds like a lot of uh, lot more learning coming your way then potentially. Yeah, yeah, uh, yes. Uh, it's weird. When, when at the, at the, at the time, start saying you'd quite like to do some roles again. I would. I think actually, I think the, the, the wise singers in our profession have like two or three calling cards. You know, uh, when I think of some who are dear friends and some who, you know, sort of colleagues that I, I come across over and over again, there's a friend of mine, Matteo Lippi, 
who's an incredible tenor. We did uh, La Rondinée together, and we've stayed firm friends. But he sings Rodolfo, Pinkerton, Alfredo, everywhere. And what that does is that buys him time. And it, it also makes sure that he looks after his voice. He's not over-singing. He's not trying to sort of stretch his voice every which way. And it buys him time to sort of think about adding another role. And, and uh, it, he, he is, it, it, when you listen to him sing, it is glorious. It's one of the most beautiful sounds I've ever heard. Um, and I think that's why, because, you know, he's, he's, he's going deeper into characters but he's singing the same three everywhere. And I'd love to, you know, whittle it down to... I'd love to whittle my repertoire as it stands down to perhaps two or three, perhaps even four roles that uh, I really identify with, that vocally really lock in with me and have the opportunity to just go deeper because some of these roles are very... Uh, psychologically and emotionally very large, like uh, Suor Angelica. Um, you know, I'd love to go deeper into that role and to sing that role over and over again, or Butterfly, and sing that role over and over again. Um, uh, so that's where I'm at, really, just sort of trying to choose which three, which are my golden three, and uh, and get uh, lots. That of... will keep you satisfied as well if you have to do yes, them again. Yes, exactly. And you know, and and uh, that I'll have something new to bring to them with every new production or new ideas from a director or a conductor. It, it automatically gets renewed um, uh, and should keep me on my toes. You know, but I, I would like to do that. Well, whatever you do in the future, we look forward to hearing it. Um, Elizabeth Lowell, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed.